This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where two tech groups have filed a federal lawsuit to try to derail Florida's new law that punishes Twitter and Facebook and other tech giants for censoring hate speech and misinformation being spread by, among others, the former president of the United States. Matt Shears with the Computer and Communication Industry Association says it's an unconstitutional law that should never be allowed to take effect. All the major digital services that you and I use and and numerous services that we probably don't even think about are all in jeopardy. The programs that they use to protect us from you know foreign disinformation and communist propaganda and predators and crime and, and whatnot, all of that might have to, to come to a halt on July 1. So we're asking the court to give us a preliminary ruling before that date. That legal challenge was filed just three days after the governor signed the tech bill. Hurricane season starts next week, but the tax break on hurricane supplies, that's already underway. This is your chance to score some emergency supplies without paying the usual sales tax. Yeah, they really do provide a, a nice boost for uh, for the economy, for our retailers, and, and a nice break for Floridians. And I think everybody could use a break right now. Scott Shalley with the Florida Retail Federation joins us today to talk about that sales tax holiday. The Florida Supreme Court rejects a challenge to the state's medical marijuana law that limits who can get into the business. It's a win for the 22 companies that already have a license in Florida, but Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed says it's bad news for patients who will face ever higher prices. We'll also have your daily calendar of political events and the stories of two Florida men. One is charged with battering his daughter with a slice of pizza. The other almost killed himself when he tried to stick a pole into a parrot nest next to a hot power line. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Friday, May 28th. This is National Hamburger Day, National Road Trip Day, National Sunscreen Day, and National Heat Awareness Day. Sounds like just another typical day in the Sunshine State. On this date in 1830, President Andrew Jackson signed the Indian Removal Act, leading to the forced removal of the Cherokee, Chickasaw, Choctaw Creek, and Seminole tribes out of the southeast and setting the stage for the Trail of Tears. But most of the Seminoles refused to leave Florida, which led to a seven-year war. It was the second of three wars between the United States and the tribe. On this date in 1923, the U.S. Attorney General said it was legal for women to wear trousers anywhere. In 1936, Alan Turing submitted a paper called On Computable Numbers for publication, in which he set out the theoretical basis for modern computers. In 1995, Southwest Florida, outside of Tampa, began using a brand new area code, 941. And five years ago today, a gorilla named Harambi was shot and killed at the Cincinnati Zoo after dragging a three-year-old boy who had slipped into its enclosure. Florida's Department of Health reported 2,338 new cases of COVID Thursday and 87 additional fatalities, the most in about a week. Our death toll has reached 37,469. But the latest round of COVID testing showed a positive rating of only 3.2%. 8,139,000 Floridians are now fully vaccinated against the virus. Another 2,030,000 have received their first shot. Less than a week after the governor signed a new law designed to punish big tech companies for deplatforming Donald Trump, two trade technology groups have filed suit against it in a Tallahassee federal court. The complaint from NetChoice and the Computer and Communications Industry Association alleges the law violates the First Amendment by requiring companies to host speech against their wishes and violates the Commerce Clause of the Constitution because the state's trying to regulate interstate commerce. On the line now is Matt Shears, president of the Computer and Communication Industry Association. And Matt, you guys didn't waste a whole lot of time challenging this one, did you? No, we didn't. We didn't. But first, let me say thanks for having me on, Rick. I'm happy to be here. 
Uh, no, it's uh, this law goes into effect on uh, July one, and as a result of that, the, the 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 content moderation and trust and safety programs that all the major digital services that you and I use, and and numerous services that that we probably don't even think about, are all in jeopardy. Those are programs that protect internet users every day. And so it's essential that we get a court ruling about whether or not companies can continue to maintain those programs before this deadline rolls around. Or otherwise, the the efforts that the, 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 the technology companies, that, that web hosts, the social media services, a whole variety of companies, um, the programs that they use to protect us from uh, you know, foreign disinformation and communist propaganda and predators and crime and, and, and whatnot, all of that might have to, to come to a, a halt on July 1. So we're asking the court to give us a, pre, uh, a preliminary ruling before that date. Now, let's walk through a couple of those. First of all, tell me how this violates your First Amendment rights. Well, so to be clear, it violates our member companies' First Amendment right. rights. I and our peer organization are trade associations, and we represent the industry and its interests. And so our claim is uh, we have what we call associational standing. We are uh, a representative of the industry and our scores of members and the thousands of similarly situated companies who are making decisions every day in an effort to try and protect their users. And so I think the most specific example is if an internet service says, we don't want to host Nazi party political candidates on our platform, that company is exercising its own First Amendment rights, rights that they need to protect their users to uphold the commitments they made to their users. And if they said, hey, we're going to try and protect you from foreign disinformation, from, from viruses and malware and spam and and, and all these other terrible things, uh, they need to be able to make those decisions day to day to protect the, the everyday user. And this the, law will tie their hands in doing that. And the Commerce Clause. I, I, I suppose this all gets back to Section 230 as well, doesn't it? Well, so the Commerce Clause argument is, you know, we've had these kinds of cases for honestly centuries, right? Inevitably, you have a state that tries to regulate beyond its borders. And this goes back to the founding of our country. Right? We've got all these different states that are imposing taxes on their neighboring states. And, and the United States weren't very united. We didn't form or function as a as a unitary country. So we have this legal doctrine that says, look, uh, our a state cannot try and regulate commerce between it and other states. Or you can regulate what happens inside the borders of Florida, and that's Tallahassee's uh, responsibility and jurisdiction and obligation. But they can't try and regulate you know, what happens across the border. They can't try and tell New York how to conduct its business. And because these companies that are being affected by these rules are national and, and often international companies, Florida is, is effectively telling companies in California, companies in Texas, companies in New York, how to do their business, how to protect their users. And that's a commerce clause problem. Are you surprised that this charge is being led by Republicans who are, you know, in theory, the champions of, of big business and, you know, laissez-faire policies in, in the free enterprise system? Oh, indeed. Yeah, there's no there's there's no shortage of irony here. I mean, a lot of people have referred to this as the fairness doctrine for the Internet. Of course, the fairness doctrine comes from, you know, big government 1960s and 70s liberal telecom policy where where the, the, the liberals in that era were trying to make broadcasters tell both sides of every story. And so there was these rules that actually went all the way up to the Supreme Court 
ultimately, it was Ronald Reagan who said, look, marketplace of ideas, we're, we're, we're not going to implement these rules. Uh, and he was, you know, in a very high profile fashion, shot down the so-called fairness doctrine in the broadcast space. Now, today, that, that rule is so heavy handed and such an overreach that even the most progressive of progressives think it's a bad idea. Right. And yet we now have uh, nominally conservatives who are saying, oh, no, no, we want to have the government deciding fairness on the Internet. And, and there's all kinds of irony there. Similarly, uh, you know, I mean, is a like Republican philosophy is about um, uh, about personal accountability. Right. And so, uh, you know, individuals need to take responsibility for the things they say on a digital service. And if that violates the services rules, you have to you have to own up to that. Find a community whose rules are consistent with what you think uh, you want to say. And that's where you should engage. Right. You, you can't go into a, a children's forum and spout off about politics. Right. That's not what the forum is for. And so people have to be responsible for breaking the rules when they do so. Did you ever see the day or did you imagine you would see the day when someone would pass a bill claiming that because of their free speech rights, you would have to host things that would be considered offensive, misinformation, disinformation, outright lies? You're you're getting into uh, a, a very uh, critical observation here, right? which is that free speech rights are protecting you and I from the government, right? Our free speech protections ensure that the government can't tell us that we have to say things or that we can't say things, right? They're protections for from government consequences for our speech. They don't protect the government from our speech, and they don't protect individual Americans from each other's speech, provided that speech is is lawful. Uh, and so there's there's this there's increasing sense, and it's on both sides of the political spectrum, right? That that freedom of speech means speech free from consequences. That I I shouldn't be held responsible for things that I said in in a particular community. But that's personal accountability, right? And 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 being held responsible for things you said by a community is not a, a First Amendment problem. Right. That's the community looking around and saying, hey, this person is out of step with our norms and showing you the door. Now, Florida, of course, is the first state to pass one of these. But there are several other red states that are moving in this direction. How important is it to, shall we say, nip this in the bud? Yeah, I think it would be tragic if lots of states wasted energy and resources in, in you know, squabbling over a, a clearly unconstitutional policy that at best is going to serve a, a bumper sticker for a handful of political candidates. It's, digital services are already working very hard to try and uh, develop a consistent, aggressive uh, but predictable and transparent moderation practices online to ensure that they uphold the commitments they make to us and and in and meet their community's expectations about what can be said online. That's a, a never-ending fight. Uh, the science and the technology and the strategies there are, are, are growing every day. And I think the government needs to take a step back and look at how industry is doing this and, and, and allow the marketplace of ideas and, and competition among digital services to, to play out. And over time, users will gravitate towards the services that meet their needs. Five major tech companies were targeted by Florida's new law, Google, Facebook, Twitter, Apple, and Amazon. Now, Disney has a major streaming service but was exempted from the law. A provision was added at the last minute saying it does not apply to any company that owns a theme park in Florida. 
The hurricane season starts in a few days, but the tax holiday for disaster supplies began at midnight. And Governor Ron DeSantis says this is your chance to stock up for the season without having to pay the Florida sales tax. The 10-day disaster preparedness tax holiday will run from May 28th through June 6th. Uh, for specified disaster preparedness items within certain uh, price ranges, including flashlights under $40, tarps under $100, batteries under $50, coolers under $60, and generators up to $1,000. And so that will provide folks with the ability to prepare themselves. We know hurricane season is basically upon us. I know they say June 1st, but in reality, I think they're going to start saying you need to start thinking about this at this point in May going forward. So we're going to do that, um, and we're but we're anticipating uh, to it to be a relatively active season, and Floridians should, should just understand that this is something uh, that, that we may have to deal with, and so it's best to be prepared. Chief Financial Officer Jimmy Petronas is from Panama City, which is still rebuilding after Hurricane Michael in 2018, and he is especially grateful for all the hardware heroes who sell those disaster supplies. You know, we saw what Michael and Sally did in Northwest Florida. We're concerned. These men and women up here know that you feel the pain when it comes time to recovery. And the, the, the store here, I know you you're go through strains because your men and women want to take care of your families and you want to put up and board up your own houses, but you're here making sure that people have access to the stuff that they need to save their houses. I want to give you all a round of applause. My college roommate used to be a Home Depot um, manager over in Merritt Island, and some of the hardest days were the times hurricanes were bearing down the state, and you're sitting there doing everything you can to help people save their homes. So this is exactly what we're trying to do. We're trying to incentivize that. We're trying to make sure that the sales tax benefit gives you motivation so you go out and get those resources now. You used to go get the radios, the batteries, the generators, the supplies now as opposed to waiting when when the emergency comes. It's great to have partners like the Retail Federation, Home Depot, and all these stakeholders that come together to help us make these good ideas. Thank you all so much for your sacrifices and making sure that the citizens of the state of Florida have absolute best place to live. But the real heroes of the hurricane season are the state and local officials who coordinate the disaster response. The Florida Division of Emergency Management has been on full alert for more than a year now because of the COVID crisis, so Director Kevin Guthrie says they're ready for something different, but you'll need to do your part. To prepare for hurricane season, the division recommends having a disaster plan in place and a stocked disaster supply kit with at least five to seven days worth of supplies. This is the best time to get the items that you need for your family in the event of a storm. The earlier you prepare, the better off you will be come June 1st. Having a a stock disaster supply kit is vital to an individual's hurricane preparedness. Your supply kit should contain everything you and your family will need during a storm, like water, medication, non-perishable food items, batteries, flashlights. The division has compiled a full checklist to use while stocking up on these supplies for your kit. That checklist is available at floridadisaster.org forward slash kit. When a storm is approaching your area, that is not the time to build your kit. The time is now during this sales tax holiday to stock up on your critical supplies. The division is preparing for this upcoming hurricane season. In the last few weeks, we've met with national, state, and local county emergency managers, 
and we, are, we have participated in hurricane exercises to improve our response. We're encouraging Floridians to take other steps for individual disaster preparedness, including performing an annual insurance check of your home, your renter's insurance, your business insurance, your flood insurance. That is your first line of defense. Most people that depend on FEMA, the maximum grant that you can get from FEMA is $35,000 if you qualify for every single thing that they have. The average payout to a Floridian in a time of disaster is $4,000. Your first line of defense is your insurance policy. The Florida Retail Federation is a big supporter of these sales tax holidays. Federation President Scott Shalley says it's a win for consumers who save money and for businesses because it brings more shoppers into their stores. Yeah, they really do provide a, a nice boost for uh, for the economy, for our retailers, and, and a, a nice break for Floridians. And I think everybody could use a break right now. So uh, uh, we're super excited and appreciative about the legislature and the governor approving uh, three tax holidays this year. So it should be a good year. Now, as far as the disaster supplies, it's it sounds pretty impressive, but it's actually a pretty short list of items, is it not? Well, it's pretty targeted. I, I will say that, and and it's you know we've gone to a uh, a ten day holiday. It runs from May twenty eighth through June sixth. There's no excuse for folks not to take advantage of getting out and getting prepared for for hurricane season. Uh, I think with us reemerging from COVID and getting out and about, the kind of last thing on anybody's mind is storm season. But it's here, and uh, it, it has shown up. So we. We, we, we do need folks to get prepared, and, and the list of things is, is really tailored pretty specifically to the types of things that you do need, whether it's light sources or radios or tarps, batteries, uh, coolers, and, and the big one is, you know, portable generators up to $1,000. That's a, a, a chance for pretty good savings, and, and Rick, I'll tell you, the, uh, uh, a lot of our, the, this is a, kind of a, you know, opportunity for a real win-win because a lot of our retailers do customize promotions and sales around the tax holidays, so there's a chance for additional savings as well. Now, those portable generators, uh, yeah, it's up to $1,000, so you, you don't have to get a cheap one. You can get a decent system, but uh, there's always the concern about, you know, people really don't know how to use portable generators and keep them maintained over the life of the unit. Um, do you think the average Floridian should be plunking down that sort of money for a generator? Well, I think the I, I think the issue is education, right? I think this is why bricks and mortar retail is here to stay. Uh, you have trained employees, uh, trained uh, uh, customer service assistants in the store that can help you understand the device, help, help you understand the limitations, help you understand how to operate it safely, and be there as a recurring resource for you as as you move forward. And of course, there's also a certain cost to the taxpayers on this, and that's always been in dispute. That you know, the state says they'll lose X amount of money because of the sales tax holiday, but but your assertion is that this actually brings out more people buying other items as well, and so the state tends to make a buck on the deal, does it not? Yeah, I, I think it's very very hard to to quantify, and uh, you know, it has been characterized as a gimmick before, and I'll just say that. That, uh, you know, anything that increases support for uh, our retailers, the folks that support our communities, support our Little League teams, and then at the same time provides Floridians with the opportunity for a tax break, uh, if that's a gimmick, I'll take it every day. So I think it works really, really well uh, and uh, provides a nice uh, jump start to our economy. 
Of course, the big players in this are Lowe's, Home Depot, and Ace Hardware. Can you think of any other retailers that are real big in this uh, sort of deal? Well, I always try to stay away from names because, of course, we, we do uh, uh, represent everybody from the small, small, smalls to the big boxes. But the, the ones you mentioned, Tractor Supply and the locally owned hardware stores, are the ones that are most uh, focused. Certainly some of the big box, um, uh, Target, Walmart, and others are, are, uh, have these, these items as well. That's Scott Shelley, president and CEO of the Florida Retail Federation. The Florida Supreme Court upholds a 2017 law designed to carry out a constitutional amendment that legalized and expanded the use of medical marijuana in the Sunshine State. The law had been challenged by a Tampa LLC called Floragrown that claimed the licensing system created by lawmakers was unconstitutional. That's because the law requires medical marijuana licensees to handle all aspects of the cannabis business, including growing, processing, distributing, and selling. That's known as vertical integration, and Florida Grown says it's unconstitutional because that limits the number of companies that can participate. The court rejected that claim, saying the vertical integration requirement is, quote, within the legislature's specific authority. The high court also rejected arguments that the law's cap on the number of medical marijuana licenses is contrary to the constitutional amendment that was approved by voters. State Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed is a major cannabis proponent, and she blasted the decision. Her office issued a statement saying, This ruling by our Republican-dominated Supreme Court further entrenches Florida's unfair, unconstitutional medical marijuana system. This status quo helps absolutely no one except the 22 medical marijuana companies in Florida at the expense of patients. Freed goes on to say that the medical marijuana market will remain closed off, restricting freedom of opportunity, weakening the free market, and leading to ever higher prices for patients. Your calendar of events is a short one. As we've already mentioned, a 10-day sales tax holiday began today for shoppers buying supplies for the hurricane season. And at 9 o'clock tomorrow, Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed takes part in an online fundraiser with the Lake County Democrats. It's a prelude to Freed's announcement on June 1st that she'll be running for governor. A Florida man who tried to rescue some parrots that were nesting on a utility pole in Coral Springs was nearly electrocuted. The man, whose identity was not disclosed, suffered second and third degree burns over 50% of his body when the pole he was using to try to reach the birds hit a live wire and knocked out power in the area. He is in serious condition. We have no word on the status of the parrots. And finally today, a Florida man is accused of striking his daughter in the face with a slice of pizza. 20-year-old Kristen Warden of Indian River County still had tomato sauce on the left side of her face when deputies arrived. She told them her father, 41-year-old Tyler Warden, stopped by her house to drop off a pizza, but she was not feeling well and asked him to leave. Dad refused and began arguing. When she tried to close the door on him, Kristen says he threw a slice at her face and hit her. He was still there when deputies responded and admitted throwing pizza. The officers also say they detected a strong odor of alcohol. Florida man has been charged with battery. That's it for today's episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee. We'll be taking a break from Memorial Day, but you're invited to join us again Tuesday morning as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.